Therapy, therapy, where the game is about glory and we're here for therapy. Th oh, oh so, sorry guys, sorry I was singing to myself. Um, hello, good evening and welcome to the latest edition of The Game is About Glory, where we will look back on what happened a little earlier today at the Olympic Stadium in London, which ended West Ham United 2, Tottenham Hotspur 1. I'm your therapist, <coughs> sorry, I'm your host, THFC Steph. And before we get into it, we'd like to remind you to please make sure you subscribe to The Game Is About Glory via your favourite pod platforms. And if you like it, shout it out loud with a five-star salute. Thanks very much for all the positive feedback so far. And if you haven't yet subscribed, it is never too late to do the right thing. So make sure you do precisely that and save yourself a good 60, 70, 80 quid in therapy fees. Now, let's meet tonight's team. And I will be asking each of them a question which will put a smile on our face for maybe the, uh, the only time in the next hour. If Star Wars characters were footballers, which would be the best signing for Spurs? Luton, hello, mate. Hey, all. I would possibly say Kylo Ren. We need someone to come in and just shake things up um, with that little evil side to him. So, yeah, if I was going to get us a Star Wars character, it'd be Kylo Ren. Come and save the club. Very good. Very good. I like that. Awesome. How are you? How's the weather down there? Come on, make us jealous. Morning, Doctor. It's, uh, it's, it's warm enough. I think we need more than Kylo Ren. I'm going to go Yoda. We need some Jedi stuff now. This is bad. <laughs> Very good. Uh, uh, Milo, hello, mate. How are you? Hello, mate. How are you doing? Good. Um, I'm going for Darth Vader, centre-back. We, you know, Mourinho said it. We need intelligent cunts, and he's the most intelligent cunt out there. Uh, very good. I, I actually, uh, awesome. You took, uh, I was going to say Yoda because we need that. We need that brain in the centre of the midfield. Uh, you know, I think we signed someone. Like, I think David Pleat thought he was signing Yoda once back in the day. And uh, it was Pleat or Hoddle. One of them thought they were signing Yoda and they got Toda. Didn't quite work <laughs> out the same, did it? Now I think about it. But I'm, I'm going to go for a bit of... Go on. <laughs> I was thinking about Han Solo. is probably the, the most Hoddle-esque no, you of stole, the Star Wars you galaxy. Stole <laughs> Oh, this is Dr. Patient Privilege being thrown all over the place. He's He knew I was going to go for Han Solo for the creative flair and the style, and he's flipped that Dr. Patient Privilege, and he's just told you all. So there we are. Instead, well, we lads, in defence. Uh... <laughs> well, lads, it's been, an, it's been an excellent pod full of cheer. Thank you very much. Uh, let's pick it up next week. And, uh, oh, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, we do actually have to now talk about the game. Where to start? I'm going to try and keep our thoughts on today's West Ham United uh, defeat as coherent as possible. So I'm going to go try and go to each of you with a very specific point. I'll tell you what, Luton, why don't we start with... An optimistic point of view. I mean, Gareth Bale's it, second 45 minutes. Let's talk about it. Come on, bring us in. If you hadn't said Gareth Bale, that's the only optimism I came away with today. I think Gareth came on and um, I'd said on a different chat with a bunch of lads that Gareth's not going to be able to do anything. He's not interested. He did it against some farmers in midweek and he's not going to do anything. And he shut me up. Um, he did really, really well. He came on. Passing was good. His movement was excellent. He really got in between the centre-backs in the midfield well. He brought others into play. He had a beautiful shot. He did a cross over to Kane, I think, which was cleared by the defender. Yeah, he was good. Um, other than that, Serge being back from injury, coming back in his first game, getting through quite a few minutes. Um, Lamella getting a yellow card always makes me optimistic because he runs around like a harrier. It's joyous to see him. I think he made a beautiful run in the first half as well, where and he actually released the ball at exactly the right time for the first time in his life, which was good to see from Eric. Um, so there were some good bits in that game. Bale, 45 minutes, three chances created, one assist, one shot against the crossbar, seven crosses, five dribbles, three shots, two on target. 
That's all right. Yeah, not worth a start, though, is he? After he came on at half-time, it took him about 15 minutes to get going, which I think is kind of what we expect from Bell. But give him give him a start from, the you know, minute one, not not 45. He, he was the best player on the pitch for us today. I was going to say, I think he probably did enough today to earn that. Well, hopefully next weekend. You know, I said on Thursday night that I didn't think that Delhi or Bale had done it enough to force Mourinho's hand but I think Bale has those two performances together I think has done enough to force his hand we look a better team with him in it and that's probably the first time we can say that this season I mean you know my thoughts on that I think that a manager has to manage with with a a little more uh, attacking courage than our current one does Mm. and I feel that when you see Gareth Bale on form uh, in any sense of the word you have to jump on it and I think he should have definitely been in the match today from the beginning it's so nice to have him back it's so nice to have him back and Long may he get the chance to bail Mourinho out for the rest of the season because, I, no, well, this is the paradox that Mourinho finds himself in. Is Gareth Bale could very easily be the player that saves his his Tottenham legacy because if there's one player mm. who can win you key games, i.e. Europa League games, it will be him. So he better back this horse. He can I say one last, not, one last thing on Bale? Like the, the options that someone like Mbappé or Hoiberg have got when they're, they're coming over the halfway line and you look and you've got Bale to the right, Sun to the left. I mean, there's not many midfielders in the Premier League that have got that kind of option. Uh, why don't we get into that? Why don't we get into something tactically here and the return of Reguilón and the fact that we all thought that there was going to be a bit of a wonky going on and instead it turned into a bit of a wanky, actually, didn't it, in fairness, that first 45 minutes? Uh, who wants to take on the, the, the tactical shape that we went out with at the Olympic Stadium? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we did do that. I think Tananga, um, I've got, I've got uh, Luton's dire problem. He did he did um, hang back and Reguillon was very far forward wasn't he uh, with Sun just tucked inside that aside it was 4-2-3-1 which is, is that the third game on the trot when we've played that third or fourth so it, he's settling on that rather than chopping and changing formations which is a positive in terms of league games in terms of defence the only change there was uh, Reguillon coming in for Davis which you know, I think it's a change that most of us would have made. You know, Ndombele and uh, Hoybier in, in central midfield together, which picks itself, doesn't it? It's at least until Lo Celso's back. We're, we're seeing a bit of stability and a bit of uh, consistency there in terms of uh, in terms of selection, in terms of how we're lining up, and more or less in terms of personnel. It's the sixth consecutive game. Gareth is telling us from the uh, from the from the lounge tonight. We've got some of the boys who are usually in the team are in the lounge tonight. Is this working and he's having bad luck? You know, I look at the statistics today, 69% possession, which, you know, I suppose is not surprising when you give up an early goal. Uh, you're going to have the ball. I think today we had more shots off target than any 16, game. We had 16 shots off target. West Ham had zero and we both had four shots on target. So, you know, we've hit, we've hit, we have hit the woodwork twice. So are we just unlucky or is this not working? I, I don't think shots off target tells us a lot other than that West Ham kept us at distance. They did to us what we've been doing to teams earlier in the season. So, you know, if you've got, you know, 10 men in between you and goal and you're shooting from, you know, way outside the area, then they are going to be off target. And that's what happened. In terms of what went wrong, we conceded a goal within five minutes. If we don't do that, it's a very different game. You know, we said midweek when we were talking about this game, West Ham are a good side. They are a good side. They're well drilled. drilled. Moyes is manager of the season for me at the moment. Guardiola is the only one who's, who's serious competition for that. And they got an early goal, soaked up pressure and hit us on the break. And, you know, the big problem we've got at the moment is that we're constantly screwing up in defence. You know, we're, we're, we're giving a goal, at least a goal every game. If we're looking at positives, yeah, maybe not, you know, not in the first half, but we are more fluid attacking 
and that's been consistent for a few games now. So, you know, I'd say that that Everton Cup game wasn't a one-off. We are being more fluid. He is allowing more players to get forward. We are creating chances, but it's not clicking. So, Luton, I know you were looking to come in there, so... Looking at the tactic side of Jose Mourinho and what we're doing and whether it's working or not, this season we've played a back three, we've played a back four, we've played a back five. At one point, I'm sure we played a back six. We played three in the middle, two in the middle, we've played two up front, we've played one up front, we've played, you know, a false nine. We've done all sorts of stuff and we've played a high press, we've played a low block, um, played a high line. Today and the last couple of games, I think we might have pushed up as well. And we've played times we've played much, much deeper. And that's what frustrates me about the tactics. They're changing little by little by little. And to me, they're signs of a man who's desperate and who doesn't seem to really have an idea about what he's going to do next. And I know we try not to be negative about Jose, but I'm genuinely quite frustrated with him now. His comments after games and his strategy on the pitch, um, none of it really impresses me. There's nothing sophisticated about what he's doing to me anymore. Possibility that I'm really, really biased and I've had enough and I live in an echo chamber, which is not fond of Jose, but um, generally um, he lacks sophistication. He lacks class in his interviews afterwards by blaming the players. That's nothing to be surprised about with Jose. And I know uh, Milo's uh, going to tell me that, that this is what we knew was coming with Jose, but it's really coming to the fore. And as fans, we have to bear the brunt of playing really bad football, winning a couple, you know, (laughs) the joy of playing a little bit better football, but without any results, that's not what we want either. So where where are we going to get the joy from in Spurs? Um, And is Jose the man to give us joy? These are great questions and, and, and awesome. I want to bring you in by reading you a couple of things, if I may, and asking you to react to them. Um, Off the back of what Luton was just saying about Jose seeming like increasingly uh, desperate, I don't think I'm paraphrasing you too hard by saying that. You know, there are two quotes and uh, and, and Milo pulled one and I pulled the other. And Milo pulled Mourinho saying to the BBC, quote, I feel that we are not in the position in relation to our potential. Even I think for a long, long time that we have problems in the team that I cannot resolve by myself as a coach. Our potential is higher than where we are. So there is frustration. I found the quote that he gave to the Evening Standard where he, you know, to paraphrase, basically I'll get to the meat of it. He says, sometimes the results are the consequences of multiple situations in football and mine and my coaching staff's methods are second to nobody in the world. Now, before I give you the floor, awesome, I want to say that having got up at four o'clock in the morning to watch this, uh, that was the last quote I saw as I sort of tried to get an extra few hours sleep off the back of it. And I've got to tell you, it was not uh, it was not a bedtime story that I like to read. It infuriated me. So that being said, what, what do you think when you hear the manager saying this after the 2-1 defeat to West Ham United? I think he's... Uh... He's, he's fishing for any kind of excuse that he can find. But um, in terms of the resources he's got, I think he, I still, I still think he's got a, a top, certainly a top six squad of players there, potentially even better than that. He's definitely got a better squad of players than David Moyes has got. He's failing to get the best out of players. Some days, some weeks we'll get, you know, enough of a tune out of some players. They're going hot and cold. You know, we know that we've got great players in defence, attack and midfield. But Hoiberg's tailed off, and Bele's not having the best few games. Reguilón's straight straight back from injury, and we can't expect the most out of him when he's just come back from a, a month out. We look we look short of ideas, and whether or not that's Mourinho's failure to coach offensively, I don't know. But it, it's part of a bigger picture, obviously. And um, hearing quotes like that aren't great, but nothing he's been saying for about four or five months have been great. 
he's tried his hard love approach and it's uh, it's not working with this squad of players. And I worry now he is gradually losing the dressing room. Back to that particular point about it's not something that me and my coaches or I can yeah. as a coach. That, to me, doesn't indicate he's saying that I'm unable to coach these players because they don't have enough quality. It, to me, indicates something more along the lines of he's got a problem where players are not playing for him, mm. um, which is where James's point about the dressing room. Um, I, I don't understand how he would say that he's not got the ability to coach these players or he's questioning their ability. I think it's about the, how they're working with him. The, I, he, he, he's somehow, I think saying that he doesn't trust them or they don't follow his instructions. I think he's just shifting the blame. When anything goes wrong, it's everyone else's fault but his own. And I think that's all he's doing is shifting the blame. What I would question about this, I, I think the reason that we brought Mourinho in was to get one last tune out of this group of players. And by his own admission, he can't do that. So I, I think, yeah, but if you judge him by the criteria he was brought in by, he's failing. And that makes me wonder... You know, is it worth it? I mean, the tune he's getting out of these players right now is Guns N' Roses uh, when Axel was at his largest. I mean, that's what he's getting. It's not the Guns N' Roses that, you know, of, of the classic era, is it? And and he's and I, But it was. When he came in, there was still some classic era music left in them. And he slowly but surely let them sort of become stagnant and, 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 and somewhat uh, miserable. I don't see happy players out there. And, you know, do we think that given this second half... I'd say the second half has probably just about kept the full heat from hitting Mourinho's feet. He's just about dancing out of the fire with that second half. Uh, you know, Bale has come on and had a blinder. We talked about that. You know, Delhi's come on and, you know, we've got varying thoughts on how he did. But we were, we were better in that second half. Do these players have to feature going forward in order for us to get anything from this season. Does the manager have to accept, yes, I must find room for these players in my starting eleven? yes or no? Milo, start. No, I, I think Bale should be starting the next league game. I think he should be starting against Burnley. I don't think Delhi has done enough in the last two games to earn a start, but I think he's certainly done enough to be part of the matchday squad. I would be starting with a front four of Kane, Son, Lamella and, uh, and Bale uh, next weekend. I'd like Delhi to force that and force Lamella out of the side. That's what I'd like to happen. Gotcha. Awesome. I was just checking then, is is Bergwin injured? Because I think that front four is, is what I'd go for. I'm just not sure why Bergwin was ever dropped because I thought he was playing well enough. I think the front three for me behind uh, Kane is Son, Lamella and Bale. But with Lamella only being in that team if Bergwin's not fit. And I didn't see Bergwin get injured. So I'm just wondering what's happened with him. Luton? I'd say he needs to get the most out of what he called a tremendous and good squad at the start of the season. Play them all, play them all when you need to. We've got lots of games coming up. Um, get the best out of our players. We've got a really good bunch of players oh. there and he needs to find a way of making it work and picking a team that wins. It's lovely to have you on the show this week, Ozzy. A big fan. Getting all of them on the pitch, all five would be fantastic. But I think that I agree with Luton. I agree with him. I am of the same uh, feeling that I want to play this way as well. Uh, you've got me, Luton. I'm with you. There is to do. I'm, I'm there all the way. So, two Fuck Aussies, it, two Aussies, and <laughs> two Aussies, and we don't mean we don't mean continental. We mean in the great uh, Aussie Ardiles fashion. Uh, so, okay, we'll leave this one alone because I think it's uh, it's, it's going to unfold in the coming weeks. But let's talk a little bit about a couple of the players we didn't mention much today. Uh, you know, I know that awesome. You asked about um, Bergwijn 
I think it's a personality thing, and I think that right now he favours PS5 for his personality. I think he favours his drive and his ability to, you know, repeatedly batter himself into corners and spaces and people and places and and do whatever he can. I'm talking about Lucas Moura, for those who don't know, I call him PS5 because he reminds me of a computer game video player, which is either a compliment or a negative, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Lucas and let's talk let's talk about the conundrum that is Doherty because uh, you know uh, let's just I'll leave it there who let's start with Doherty let's be let's let me be awkward Milo you are you are muted you get into Doherty <laughs> come on give us your opinion you you drew the short straw I don't want to repeat what we were saying on Thursday night I thought um, him and Bale showed a good understanding on Thursday night and I suspect that's part of the reason why he came on uh, we were chasing the game Tenango was sitting right back. It gave us another uh, another at- attacking outlet, and we were drawing play to the left hand side. We weren't stretching the defence enough, so there weren't some chances. So I think that was the thinking behind it. It was, um, you know, if, so for all the talk of Aussie, then for large parts of the second half, we did have five attackers on the uh, on the pitch. We were, you know, very very uh, advanced. I think there was a there was phases in the second half where Hoybier was our deepest player. So I think that was the thinking there. Doherty's had a poor season. There's no getting away from that. He's a little unlucky. The signing of Reguillon, from all, it doesn't appear that it was planned. I suspect that plan before that was to continue with the wonky. And I think if Davis is sitting and Doherty is playing in a similar position to Aurier was last season, I think you'll be getting different different performances out of him. But it hasn't worked out that way. Um, and he he feels a he feels like the odd man out, doesn't he? That's a good summation. Luton, awesome. Who wants to take on PS5? I thought he had one of his better games today. He scored a goal. Um, he was reasonably creative. He released the ball a little bit earlier, but he's frustrating as ever. I mean, but that's what you get with Lucas Mora. Um, he does he does put a lot in. He doesn't release the ball on time. Sometimes his, his shooting can be, can be bad, but he's... For a small guy, he's incredibly strong in the air. He wins a lot of headers mm. and he's actually decent. I know the commentator showed some surprise, but that's not the first time he scored a header for us. He's, he's, he's quite strong in the air. So I think he's 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 a frustrating player to watch. Um, he's moments of brilliance. He can dribble as well as anybody. Um, it's just what he does right at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, anyone is surprised by him scoring a header hasn't watched him play, have they? He's good in the air. Yeah. Moore is a player I'd be quite happy to sell in the summer. And I think he's a bit of a highlights reel player. So maybe there's some kid out there who's done uh, YouTube highlights reel of all his greatest moments that look fantastic with a bloody awful soundtrack on it. And maybe we can send that around half the clubs in Europe and see if someone signs him off the back of it. You know what? When we signed him, I, I watched one of those YouTube highlights from his PSG days, and it was exactly as we're seeing. He he scored one wonder goal where he did a PS5, ran the whole way through some French mm. mid-table team, scuffed it into the bottom corner. Well done. He he's a good player. He's I put in the comments section there. He's Lucas the Leaping Salmon. I mean, he's probably about five foot seven, but he does get up better than almost yeah. any other player we've got. But yeah, I completely agree. He probably needs to go in the summer but that that's another reason for questioning mm-hmm. a lot of what Jose is doing is he's just continually picking this guy and I'm sure we're going to come on to another guy uh, Mourinho is continually picking but uh you know Dyer's only you not should... started two games this season ladies and gentlemen we have hit the Derek the Eric Dyer portion of the conversation which the is... Derek Meyer Derek Meyer is that we're going to call him from now on <laughs> <Derek> Meyer, <did laughs> <I>? <laughs> 
We've hit the Derek Meyer <laughs> portion of the conversation. Luton, Luton, is, that, is that easier for you? Can you do Derek Meyer? Much easier. I can do <laughs> Right, that's right. it. That's and what he's called if, now. And, right, and I'm going to give him a voice. We've hit the Derek Meyer <laughs> portion of the conversation where we're going to talk about the skills or lack of skills being deployed by said Derek Meyer. Who wants to take on... James, awesome. You were talking about Derek Meyer. Why don't you continue talking about Derek Meyer? Every time Mourinho picks him and he follows it up with a mistake in the early part of the game, which is essentially costing us a huge amount of points this season, I don't understand it. I don't understand why we've got such a good defender. Our best defender sat on the bench. And just to give you some examples, I wrote two down, OK? Apart from the, the first minute, or the whenever it was West Ham scored due to him just deciding to give the freedom of our six-yard box to uh, Antonio... There was a moment just before half-time, okay, when West Ham had a throw-on on the right-hand side of the game. As we all know, you can't be offside from the throw-on. I'm not sure if Dyer knows that, but he just let whoever it was get behind him. We ended up, Sanchez bailed him out, we conceded a corner. But that was a situation that was of no threat at all. And then we end up conceding a corner and we could, you know, anything can happen from a corner with us. But optimistic point of view interruption there you did say that Sanchez bailed him out so I just want to note that's a mark in the positive for Davinson Sanchez carry on he conceded a corner and I've got less of a problem with Sanchez than I have with Dyer. I, I personally would play Rodon and Alderweireld in central defense if Rodon is not in Mourinho's good books okay I'll probably go Sanchez with with one caveat of that I think there's certain games where Dyer can handle it these might be Europa games. These might be games when, you know, I, I think part of the reason why he chose those centre-backs today, and I don't agree with it, was the fact that Antonio has historically caused us a shitload of problems and caused us more problems today. But he's not a great footballer, Antonio. He's just strong, low centre of gravity. And I think whenever Mourinho thinks we need strength to, to counteract strength, he, he plays our meatheads. I, I think he played them because he wanted to play a high line and they're our pacier two centre-backs. Um, I mean, I so don't I think subscribe that's to Dyer being quick either. No, no, he's quick in a straight line. He's slow on the turn. He's quick in a straight line. He's far quicker that's than Alvarez. That's not modern defending, though. No, but that's how he's playing him. And if he's alongside Sanchez, you can do that. On the Rodon point, I think it's, you know, Rodon hasn't played a minute of football since Brighton. It was Liverpool game before that, wasn't it, when he made the mistake. And then Mourinho made actually supportive comments after that, didn't he? He played him in the Brighton game and he hasn't played a minute, minute of football since then. And I think he hasn't even been in the squad a couple of times. So, again, we were talking about this so Thursday or last weekend. I, I, I can't remember. But, but we were saying that, you know, all of our central defenders have had a period in the wilderness under Mourinho this season. It looks like Rodon's the one there. Can we just pick up that point around the chopping and changing quickly on the defence? Because we've spoken about this a couple of times and we were talking it before we started the record. The last time we played the same back four in consecutive games uh, was Arsenal Palace, which was back in December. Uh, The Arsenal game was was the 6th of December. And since then, there's been 12 games. We've had three wins and only had two clean sheets. And in the games before that, uh, we had the best defence in the league and the centre-back pairing consistently in those league games was out of Vierald and Dyer. We are so reliant on two basic players in attack that when those players don't mm. function and can't function and get defended with increasing ease as they have been in the last couple of months, you know, there's so much more pressure on our defence and there's so much more pressure on our, on our back mm. line that it's just... So I've got one more for you on that. So um, since we beat Arsenal in the, on the 6th of December, we've won three out of 12 Premier League games, taking 12 points. Pochettino was sacked after tw- the first 12 Premier League games of last season 
when he'd taken 14 points from 12 games. The silence will tell you everything that we think. Let's just let me just throw this point in as a as, as a penultimate. As I say, GPR has been uh, uh, throwing some great notes in from the lounge, and uh, he did note that we haven't actually addressed the fact that there was a foul, a clear foul in the build-up to that first goal. Did you see it that way? Did you see uh, Reggie as having got bullied out of it? Is that an excuse? Did that foul make a difference? It, he got taken out, and I didn't see that the uh, who was it Suchek that did it. I don't see that he got any anything other than the man. So if you ask me, I think it was a foul, but I'm biased. Yeah, it was a foul. He took the man out. He went straight through him. GP's absolutely right. What we should have done is made a meal of it. Reggie got up and we didn't make a squeak. What what should have happened is we should have surrounded the ref and made it bloody difficult for them and forced you know forced the issue. And you know Reggie should have stayed down and should have been screaming. You know going back to the intelligent cunts thing, we're not that. You know again if we're judging Mourinho by his own standards by his own plans, we're not that because that was meek. That wasn't playing the game. That wasn't playing the referee. That wasn't managing the situation. That was, I, I hate this phrase, but it was Spursy. Yep. And that being said, penultimate question before our closing thoughts on West Ham United. And we have to ask, where does this leave the manager? Luton, why don't you start? At the moment, I think realistically, without any emotions getting involved, I think he's got the Europa League. He's got to focus on. I don't think top four is as likely as before. It's, there's a very slim chance, but depending who we get in the next round of Europe and how we do, because it's some really, really good teams, teams from the Premier League and, and from outside, I think that'll say a lot about it. If we don't progress beyond the next round of Europa League, I think and we're still sitting in, or languishing in eighth or ninth position because we're, we have a squad that's better than eight, eighth and ninth, then he's going to be in trouble then. Um, he's got a few more weeks. I think at the moment, though, he's a manager who realises that things aren't going to plan. I don't think he wants us to be this bad, but I, I do think he will do everything possible to protect his image at the same time. And Spurs fans should be cognizant of um, what we know evidentially from this man's history of what he'll do towards the end of his tenure when things haven't gone well for him. So I, I'm wary of that Jose um, and I think that Jose is starting to come to the fore now more mm-hmm. so than before Awesome I think only Levy knows whether or not top four was the uh, the criteria in which he was going to judge Mourinho at the start of this season but we're nine points off it now with third of the season to go and I, I don't think it's catchable and I think one thing we do know about Levy is he's not afraid to to make the difficult choices really and it might it might not come till May but if that's it top four is the criteria then, then Mourinho's got another 14 games left in charge of this club in the Premier League. Milo? I'd be amazed if the um, target for the season was in Champions League football. I thought that if we'd won the game today, then top four was possibly on because we've played more of the good teams than most of the teams we were you know, in the top half of the table have. So we've got an easier run in than most sides. But the, I think the loss today makes that very difficult. I think maybe you're right, Steph, that he does go all in in, uh, in the Europa League now, but there's some really good teams left there and cup competitions are a lottery. In terms of uh, is he closer to the exit, I don't see any obvious candidates who are out of work at the moment who could come in and replace him. So I don't think that Mourinho, I don't think that Levy will sack him now and certainly not whilst we're still in the Europa um, and I don't think he should either. What I'd like us to do is to is to plan long term. I want us to be a club with a strategy and a plan and this is what disappointed me when Pochettino went. I think good clubs say this is how we play football, this is how we set up, we buy players for that setup, and and that's how we play and we don't, we chop and change. 
And I'd like to see us have a long-term strategy. I'd like us to sign a manager who can build a team to see us through the next three or four years. And I'd like us to decide how we're going to play and set up throughout the club like that, because I think that's how good clubs are run. Okay, and I'm going to stick with you for the closing thoughts here, Milo. One positive, one negative. Let's keep it to 20 seconds. So, Um, Well, the positive was it was a lunchtime kickoff and the weather was beautiful. And after the game, I went down to the beach with my son and had a nice play. So that was good. The negative was that top four's gone, I think. Okay, awesome. Positives and negatives, 20 seconds, three, two, one, go. Negative would be uh, Hoiberg's form and positive would be uh, Arsenal lost. Luton, positives, negatives, three, two, one, go. Uh, the positives being taken, Arsenal, um, but um, I'm thinking other than that, um, Serge, Reggie being back from injury and the negative is a comment from the coach after the game, which I'm possibly reading too much into, but the smell of um, a starting to crack dressing room, which... which, which they smell, to. they smell. Yeah. And uh, my positive is Gareth Bale's return. Absolutely wonderful to see him playing the way he was, an increasing swagger. And, and it was swagger. It was great to see. That's what I spent 200 quid on a Repla shirt for at the beginning of the season. Um, and the negative uh, is the manager. Uh, he continues to be a negative uh, and he continues to cast his... Uh, as you say, rather odorous and odious uh, comments after these defeats, which are coming with increasing uh, with, with increasing frequency, and I'm, I'm not I'm not a great fan. Um, and one thing I th- Steph, your success criteria for this season is that 200 quid shirt not being wasted, isn't it? Well, I mean, I feel sad that it's, it's, it's in the balance right now, but uh, but what I will say is that you know it's very interesting to consider how these you know how this season has gone. Uh, oh, before I consider that, I have to give you the XG stat. Fancy that. When we talked about these XG stats at the beginning of this pod uh, season that we're doing, I was the one who wasn't into them because I didn't understand them or whatever. I wasn't bothered. Now I'm all over them. And I see West Ham's XG was 1.09 and ours was 0.77. If there were fans in the stadium right now, we would be uh, in a different place, in my opinion. I think the manager would be clinging on to the precipice by his fingernails. I think there would be uh, riots in the stands. I think all sorts of people are being called out. There'd be It would just be mayhem and chaos. But there is no one in the stands. And yeah. there has been no one in the stands for some time because, uh, as we are all aware, there's the small matter of um, a pandemic that we've all been dealing with in our various ways. And so we're going to shift gears to incorporate a, a chat. And I have to say, it probably won't be as comprehensive a chat as we'd like, and it will probably be a topic that we will be revisiting in the future. But we do have to start talking about this um, football and COVID. I, I, it's, it's, it's been, COVID has been a part of all our lives, quite obviously, that goes without saying. But in football terms, it has certainly changed an awful lot. I think, you know, there's no good place to start this. I'm going to start then by asking, Awesome, how has COVID impacted your relationship with football and Spurs? With Spurs, it's... Uh... Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's affecting every club, the lack of fans. I mean, one thing I'm obviously lucky enough to experience here at the moment is um, fans have been allowed back at sporting events since um, probably November, I think. I haven't been to loads. I went to the cricket on Boxing Day for the Test match. I thought about going to the tennis uh, last night. Awesome. Can I ask you a bit more about you know what it was like in Melbourne earlier in the well last year and kind of how Australia's handled it? Just briefly, kind of what the situation was. I'll tell you in a nutshell. It was a long, brutal lockdown that I can't remember which month it started. I I, I was in Spain when COVID kicked off. I, I had spent a quick bit of time in London before getting a flight back to Melbourne early April, and we. We went through about a five-month lockdown that 
I think cause not just myself, but a lot of friends, a lot of people, as I'm sure is happening in the UK, a lot of people found it mentally mm-hmm. extremely tough. I mean, I was I was separated from my fiance on different sides of the world. This island basically shut its door. We're not allowed out. People aren't really allowed in. But what we did do was go through a proper lockdown. And during that lockdown, I was looking at what you guys were able to do in the UK. Like people are going to Ibiza. You're in the you're in the stadiums, you're in the pubs, and I was like, how is this a different kind of virus that mm. you're able to do all these things, and it's not causing the cases to explode? And then eventually, of course, it did cause the cases to explode, and we know what we know what happened then in the UK. But um, our government here really ruled with an iron fist. They kept that lockdown going long after we all thought it was time to lift it, and. Um, it wasn't fun, but to be honest, if we rewound the clock, I'd almost do it again because since then it's largely been like living in a COVID-free world. And as you guys know, I've had you know the luck to go up to places like Palm Cove and Tasmania. We've had about 800 deaths in this country, full stop. I mean, you're seeing that. So we have more stays here. So, so what's the situation in California, Steph? How's that gone? I mean, California's dealt with it better than a lot of states, hasn't it? California has dealt with it better than a lot of states, unfortunately. It caught up with California in the end by proxy of the fact that, you know, it is the size of a country and it is borders other states that do not perhaps uh, adhere to the rules as well as Mm. others. So at the end of the day, you know, there was always going to be a catch up. And my personal, my county, my personal county, San Mateo County, has been excellent in dealing with with COVID and and our numbers are low. And right now, our infection rate, I believe, is 0.71 or 69 even. It's it's low. It's less than uh, 1.0, which is the rate of infection. Supposedly higher than one, you know, you're passing it. Less than one, you're not. And just to say, I know that, you know, in Luton, we've got someone who is going to, you know, have quite a lot to say about this because he's uh, you know been involved in the numbers in a great way so I'm looking forward to hearing his take California I think best to look at America as a whole because it gives you the picture America has learnt that it is a failed experiment thanks to COVID in my opinion it's just not it's not able to have to, it hasn't been able to synthesize any consistent approach towards COVID-19 you know so you've got socially distant stadiums in some places you've also got college stadiums that are absolutely jammed to the gills in other in other states you've got people like us here in california northern california who are very very tight on on the rules and you know it's been a complete and utter mess uh, and that is in no uncertain terms due to the previous leadership of this country that had a plan that was written on the back of a, of a matchbox and and promptly lost somewhere along the way i do feel a sense of calm coming to the country with the change of leadership it seems that people are a little more in gear the vaccination program seems to be working much better I, i'm going to address something that i think is fairly interesting in relation to to football and just to say by the way i personally feel in a very personal opinion that footballers and maybe elite athletes as a whole to me they've been essential workers because they've certainly saved my mental health and for mm. all the griping and bitching and moaning about mm. Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and, and at times Jose Mourinho I, I, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank everyone for, for, for doing what they're doing it's not easy and I have great mm. sympathy for Jose in that regard because he's managing at possibly one of the worst times anyone could manage a football club and 
that goes for all the yeah. managers and all the players. So I, I, you know, let's let's be blunt. Thank you so much. Even though mm. I don't always love what you're doing, it saved me and it's brought us. Together. I was going to say, let's be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, Steph, say that last spring when the Bundesliga came back, it was absolute godsend to me. I, I say I watched so much German football yeah. uh, kind of last spring, and um, yeah, I watched every game. There's a whole thing with the Belarusian league because Belarus carried on playing, and there's a whole, right, yeah. a whole um, genre of football fans who love Belarusian football has developed. South Korea came back really early, and I was, um, and that was available online. I was watching South Korean football for a while, so. So it proves um, the point. Yeah. It, it certainly proves the point that, you know, for all the criticisms, it's been incredible. And it- you, so you make a good point there, I say, about us getting together and, you know, when we finally get to meet up. I was going to ask Lucian, when, when do you think that might be? When do you think this, it might be conceivable that fans can get back into the stadium? We have to be driven by the data, not by dates. And it's mm-hmm. one of the things where I think we're starting to see better behaviour from our government now, where they're being driven by data, not by dates. Yeah. If we set deadlines for things that are just plucked from thin air we mm-hmm. always end up under pressure and what you do is change people's psychology and when you realise those deadlines are wrong and you try and change them um, the hearts and minds have been impacted and people start relaxing too early so now if hypothetically the rate we're delivering vaccines in this country um, it's an unbelievable effort and also we actually now have a really solid test and trace well the testing infrastructure is solid we don't necessarily mm-hmm. have a tracing system but the testing and if you don't have the tracing but you do have good testing that's something because a lot of people have enough personal responsibility to take action so we've got testing infrastructure and we've got one of the highest vaccination rates in the world and generally um, a public who's jumping on to the bandwagon and getting vaccinated. We're not in the space of Russia or Serbia or Italy when it comes down okay, to so vaccination I've, I've got, or even fronts. I've got to jump in with you on that and ask you a direct question, which I think is very interesting. You say it's da- data-driven, and I believe that is. So let me ask you, Luton, do you think that if the public, uh, if the football public were given the opportunity to go back to football as long as they could produce proof of vaccination. Uh, we're, we're edging into weird territory when you start to have to produce proof of things to show that you can attend functions. Um, but do you think that that is acceptable? Would you be happy to adhere to those rules? Do you think the football going public would be happy to adhere to a rule like that? Is that the way back into stadiums? So Milo and I nerd out about this a lot. But what I would say is... That football is a privilege and for the right to watch it, having a vaccination passport for a disease which is endemic for a period will be necessary because this disease will become endemic, hopefully, where certain people would need, I believe, will need vaccination boosters um, over time. And at some point, we won't need to have them every year. So mm. for a period, for the next year, I would say from, say, July 31st, when everyone would have had the first dose, at least, which is a, no, a new target, which is government set. So say from August, from September next season starting, I think anybody who has some sort of proof that they've had the vaccination, preferably on an app, which you can yeah. have scanned by your doctor. So it decreases the rate of fraud. And that day is mine. And there's going to be a bunch of people out there who are petrified of this because these people have smartphones that have all of their data. They have their location services on all day. They have their mm. GPS on all day. They share everything on Facebook and they share everything on Twitter and WhatsApp. But they're petrified of having an app which says whether they've had. Um, I'd... And then they're going to talk about civil liberties and all sorts of shit yeah. they don't understand. But we were talking about that yesterday, Lucian. I think probably what's likely to be the solution is that the current test and trace app has a QR code on it if you've had the vaccine, and that takes you through to proof that you've had it. 
and I think that's likely to be an international standard with each country adopting a similar measure. That's the only way that I can see that this works. You're absolutely right. And um, GDPR, <laughs> not your forum name, but our guest um, is, has said as well, um, will it be across industries? I think any sensible industry, um, cinemas, restaurants, um, airports, concerts, you know, entertainment venues of any sort, will probably look to mitigate and remove liability by asking people to have these because they yeah. want to open up and be profitable. I'd love to go to a cinema knowing that every single other person in there has been vaccinated is not going to give me a disease, which might, I might give to my grandma and kill her. Well, right? you're talking, so, you're talking, you're actually talking about something I think is very important and it does, it is something that every single person listening to our pod, I mean, one would hope a football supporter, um, should, t- should bear in mind. You can get philosophical about, you know, whether, you know, tracing and and apps and all this. And as you quite say, you know, you can go down that rabbit hole of conspiracy and whether Bill Gates is trying to control us all with a vaccine. The bottom line is, you know, we are here and we are in this situation and we can debate how we got here all we want. I mean, uh, but there is a path forward. And I, I agree with you. The path of least resistance right now is to, you know, if there is a path that shows vaccination will allow me to go into you know, the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium or better still, an away game. Absolutely. I'm taking it. Yes. I, I think it's probably, I think that's probably only a medium term requirement though. Yeah. Once, once, you know, once you've got, you know, 60, 70% of the population vaccinated, you don't need to do that anymore because you've got herd immunity. So it's not spreading with that kind of, that, that kind those kind of numbers. And the, you know, the danger within the stadium is the communal areas predominantly rather than actually when you're in the ground watching the game itself so possibly by next autumn the need for a you know for proof of vaccination to get into the ground may not be required when you say um, next autumn gonna... do you mean 2021 or 2022 no 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 this this season sorry this year by the autumn in the UK yeah the, the plan is is currently is for all adults to be offered the vaccination by the end of July and the evidence at the moment appears to suggest that after a single dose, you know, two, three weeks after your first vaccination got um, sufficient immunity for a window where you where the risk would be relatively low and that vaccination also reduces the transmissibility of the virus. So I, I think once you get to that point, the risk appears to be lower. But th- this is the kind of thing that I'm going to listen back to at the end of the season and I'm going to sound like a right idiot because I've got everything wrong. But based on what we know at the moment, that appears to be the case. The most single most important thing said on this pod about COVID was just that based on what we know now, everybody who's anybody, especially the, the best experts on COVID, have said one thing consistently. We don't know a lot now. And what we're saying is possibilities of what might happen in the future if we do this. The best thing we can do is this to, to keep people alive. The best thing we can do this is keep society functioning. The best thing we can do yeah. this is for the economy and bring all those things together and finding a medium. Now, I think in the future, Australia and New Zealand, reopening society fully, allowing the virus to become endemic there is going to be difficult because they've had this zero COVID approach and that's going to have to change with the vaccine because the idea of vaccine herd immunity is there has to be some of it happening Mm. um, for it to work. So there's a lot of challenges coming up and all projections and all predictions are volatile in this. Um, Everything uh, Milo and I might have said today might not happen. what, What I would say, though, is when we start talking about the League Cup final, at best... 
I see a very small audience. It's a very small crowd there. Five people, you think? 5,000, sorry. <laughs> Maybe 5,000. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's Chelsea v Man City, yeah, five. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You know, we're not going to be talking big numbers. It, it, you know, it's going to be com- comparable to what we had maybe, you know, earlier in this season with that those few weeks when people get in, maybe less than that. This is this is a, a topic, obviously, that we could spend a long time talking about and, and we, we've already spent a considerable amount of time talking about it so i'd like to like to seal it off with one final thought for now and again i think you know we will return to this topic i think it's going to happen i just wanted to pick up the financial impact on us we built a new stadium and one of the things with that stadium is it makes us the most profitable club in the country on match days when we've got a full stadium so we're earning more on a match day than manchester united are now and it's pushed us right up so our our, our income now is and our profit is you know higher than arsenal um, the stadium is absolutely key to that. If you look at our say last full accounts, so uh, they were down. We made a loss last year, but that's mainly down to not getting as far in the Champions League, so not getting as much TV revenue. But if you look at our match day revenue, last season it was up sixteen percent, so it was up thirteen million, so sixteen percent to ninety five million. That's money we're not getting at the moment. And if you put on top of that the fact that we're not in the Champions League, so our TV revenue is going to be down this season, I think this paints a picture where this summer is going to be really, really tough for us. So we spent a lot last year. Our income is down. We've got no match day income. Our TV revenue is down. And we don't have a lot of saleable assets. So I think COVID is going to have quite an impact on us financially. And it's going to really limit what we can do this summer. So, um, and what's the bad news? I know that you're an optimist and you've just given us the optimist's point of view as to Tottenham Hotspur 2021-22. I sorry, I'm laughing at my own jokes. No, I was just that was absolutely that was absolutely one of the most depressing 25-30 seconds I've listened to for some time. It's true. I mean, and and we need to re and and we need substantial work done on the on on the squad. And we've got a manager, but at least we've got a manager who believes in building. To link the two, the, our first two items together, if we were to lose Mourinho, now might be a good time for a project manager. Well, it's a brilliant point, and 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 yes, I, I, look, let's leave that as the. I mean, let's leave that as the standalone point um, for that particular for this particular area. We, I think, it is a project manager has to be our next manager. It does tie us up very nicely. These are young men. They're in the, you know, most 23, 24, 25-year-olds are behaving like doofuses <coughs> on a regular basis. Uh, professional footballers don't get that chance. You know, they get paid very well to, to not behave like doofuses. I'm not feeling sorry for them on that. They, you know, they work hard. They get paid very well. We've already established that we probably agree that they are in many ways responsible for saving our mental health. How much sympathy, right now, that is, not in general, how much sympathy do we have for the COVID-era 22 23 year old footballer who occasionally gets caught on the bounce and the second part of this is do you think that our club has maybe protected our players in that sense i.e have there been a few more breaches of covid protocol that we haven't been hearing about perhaps and is that right is it right to protect these kids if they do step out of line occasionally who wants to take that on i'd say as somebody who thinks he understands people management that as long as they're disciplined publicly chastising somebody isn't necessarily the best way of 
um, helping somebody learn from their mistakes. And that's the idea. So if there have been breaches and the club has taken the relevant action and they haven't made that public knowledge, I have no problem with it as long as they're consistent in how they've applied that rule. But mm-hmm. yeah, I've got no problem with it. I, I, public acts of admonishment are not something I'm, I'm fond of in any way, um, in any profession. Um, it doesn't sit well with me. People people have not been following the rules, not just at our club, but all clubs and in all, all, all situations. I mean, footballers, especially the younger ones, haven't been sticking to the rules. I mean, I think with Spurs, so the rule breaks we know of, well, obviously we've got the manager tra- taking training sessions on Hampstead Heath last spring. We've got uh, Aurier getting his hair cut, haven't we? We've got Lo Celso's Boxing Day Bino. What else have we got? There's a so few there's... others. Reggie was at that and Lamello at that party too, weren't they? Well, that, that, yeah, but I was just saying that as an incident rather than kind of naming yeah. all the players there. I and mean, those are the major ones, aren't they? I think we, we ought to weigh this up against some of the good the club's done. So, you know, the club gave away its medical facilities to the NHS and the club has been very active in being involved in different testing methods, partly with a view to try and get people back into the stadium. We've been quite proactive in, in terms of measures of how you might be able to get fans back into the stadium. And we know... About about some of the you know the work the club's done for the community as well. So our players and our manager necessarily haven't necessarily covered themselves in glory all the way through, but we've also done a lot of good. I agree with that, and I think it's important to end on that positive note once again. I think you know I know I've overstated this, but I don't think it can be overstated enough. You know I'm very I think we're all very grateful to everyone at the club for the way they've been able to operate through this pandemic so far especially given the huge financial constraints and losses and so on and so forth and I also have to say uh, I do believe in this instance that uh, Jose Mourinho is uh, is excellent at protecting the squad from the media and their prying eyes. I'm sure there have been mm. situations and cases we don't know about, and I do I, get the impression that Jose has very heavily protected the squad from from prying yeah. journos. And, and, and again, uh, I have to say I have to thank him for that and say that that's a, that's a noble thing. So Mourinho has done a lot in the community as well. He's been quite quite active in that, particularly during the first lockdown. And and you see Jose, um, you, you see Jose, we we like you in some ways. You just got to find a way to understand that Tottenham Hotspur 2021-22 plays so much better when we go forward on the front <laughs> foot wanting the ball with our star players. The, the most important thing is is that 200 quid shirt wasn't a waste of money. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, we we're, uh, having said that, I might have to do a whip around actually and get a, a refund for that if it doesn't pan out. So, Jose, save everyone. Play Gareth Bale. Send it to uh, send it to Alan Sugar to wash his car window with. <laughs> there you go. But get it get it. anyway. How could it not have gone overtime this weekend? This has been a very emotional day um, in many ways, and uh, I think once again, you know, it is therapy. I mean, I joked about it at the beginning. This is therapy. It's therapy for all of us, and it's a very important time to have it and engage in it. But alas, we must bring it to a close. I'm going to very briefly remind everyone that Wolfsburger from Austria come to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at 5pm on Wednesday, February 24th. What kind of time is that? Uh, we, <laughs> we have questions here. Who should we play? I, I, I think we've got to just move on through this and say we do have one foot in the last 16. Can we just have one quick question on that, oh, Steph? Who should, we, who, who should we rest? But not who should we play, who should we rest? It's a great question. Uh, got to rest Hoiberg. Got to rest Hoiberg. He's so tired. We have to rest him. I got to rest Kane. Got to rest Son. Yes. And who and who desperately needs a run out? Who needs some minutes in their legs? Ellie. Deli Ellie. Vinicius. Yes. Yeah, Vinicius. Um, Roldan. Um, 
Yeah, Joe Hart. Rodon's not in the squad, is he? Give, give Reguilón just forty-five minutes if we are having to manage. Them. Oh, you're you're you're, you're breaking you're breaking Luton's heart here because you've been you've been desperate to see Sirkin for weeks. Haven't I you? definitely want to see. I mean, if we could start a, um, a couple of the kids and bring a couple on later, but the left back, yeah. And there's a good question as well about the potential of a defeat because I know we're through, but if we lose two-one or something. That's going to be pretty damaging to our morale. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't see it happening though. They aren't. They, I'm tempting fate. I thought we were going to beat West Ham, and but they really are a very good footballing team. We should be I mean, comfortably. All, all, all we're really talking about here, from difference from the first leg, is not playing Sun, aren't we? Yeah. To start starting lineup yeah. and and giving Larissa a rest as well. I, I really yeah. think. I mean, Joe Hart. Uh, had an interesting time since he's come in, but he's still. It's quite fascinating goalkeeper. to me you bring up Joe Hart because I watched some of our Tottenham Hotspur TV uh, footage uh, recently, and there was a pro- there was a thing about uh, you know their social distance and they're asking about who is, you know dressing room secrets or whatever it is, and it was alarming to me how much of a presence he is in our dressing mm. room, and frankly it was quite frightening because I don't nec- I understand his experience and I understand he's a good bloke, but he's a gaff. I, he's, a gaff, he's always a gaff in the making. I, I, I'm just not sure. I mean, I certainly hope that he is not setting the, the, the I, template for what I, our dressing I, room is. I, I think it's something that that Mourinho puts a lot of. Stop it's it. important. To, it, no, it's important to him. So I, I think Dyer is a similar one. There is that he wants people who are vocal, and he wants he wants people who uh, you know characters. And I think Hart. I think that's what Hart brings. I only heard good things about him at Burnley despite the fact that he didn't play for you know a long time towards the end of his time there and he appears to it appears to be similar with us but you know that's important to Mourinho those characters those people you know forceful personalities right but I would like a character with a little with a little more success I don't I, I, I agree I agree I agree so, you know that's 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 kind of a, so yes I think those players should be that all the players we discussed should be rested and I think he's absolutely got to be putting the deli out there and saying you know this this is your stage and basically you perform in these games you're keeping your place through this tournament look at all that glitters is silver and gold at the end of it this you'll have a medal around your neck you'll be a star same with gareth bale it's another chance to get him mm-hmm. close to 90 minutes in his legs uh very very important keep him up to speed especially as we then come up um uh, against burnley on sunday at 2 p.m uh at the lane next sunday and this on burnley i'd say i watched their game against west brom yesterday and they were awful we'll they make them look good don't you worry we'll make, <laughs> we'll we'll make Oh my God, Milo, how can you do that? You've done it again. You can't tee us up for that. That's like when the bloke comes on the pitch and they say, he hasn't scored a goal in over a year and a half. And then it just goes whoosh Uh, into the top right. There's a record to be broken. It's it's a surprise way to allow somebody to break it against us, right? I don't don't go for any of that. It's all all nonsense. Let's draw it to a close. Um, Again, thanks thanks very much to to everyone. See you soon, chaps. See you later. Cheers, Steph. We'll be back in a week to discuss both of these games, Wolfsburg in the Europa and Burnley in the Prem. And once again, remember to please, please, please subscribe to The Game is About Glory and tell your mates about us. Also, while you're at it, let us know what you think of the podcast on Twitter at Glory Glory Forum. And last but not least, we have a mighty Instagram account at The Game is About Glory, all one word. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers, everyone.